Hello and welcome to another installment of Soccer Pints, your one-stop shop for all things American soccer. I'm your host, Will Clark. Earlier this week, we released our World Cup roster reveal episode featuring guest host Brian Edwards from the Charlotte FC coaching staff, and we broke down each player that received a ticket to Qatar and discussed snubs and surprises along the way. Today, I am happy to finally say the World Cup is here. It's been a long road. But we are officially starting the World Cup this Sunday, and the U.S. will be playing their first match on Monday against Wales. So, what could we possibly talk about today that we haven't already discussed? Trust me, we have plenty to connect on, and we will be diving into this Welsh match with lineup predictions and, of course, the score prediction, too. Before I get into the topics, I have a very special beer feature today. You may have seen it posted on my Instagram stories. But we once again have our good friends from Palm City Brewing out of Fort Myers, Florida, with a limited edition beer specifically made with the World Cup in mind. A few months ago, we had owner and head brewer Ryan Bowen on the podcast, and he mentioned that he had something in the works. And thankfully, I am fortunate enough to have one in my pint glass today. In true U.S. men's soccer fashion, today I am drinking a Pulisic Pale Ale made for the biggest sporting event in the entire world. Palm City has created this one-of-a-kind beer that is hazy, full of tropical flavor, and sits at 5% in alcohol, so we can enjoy a few of these during each match and still keep going. I don't know how Ryan and his crew keep doing it, but they continue to step their game up because this beer tastes like what I expect Christian Pulisic scoring at the World Cup will feel like. It's phenomenal. When Ryan first told me about this idea to create a beer for the World Cup, I never imagined it would come out this great, and it's been so well-received. Since posting about it online, I've had multiple people reach out to me to see how they can get their hands on some. My biggest recommendation to anyone looking for their next best beer, figure out a way to get to Fort Myers and go check out Palm City. You will not be disappointed. Well done, Palm City, and thank you for the continued support of Soccer Pints and for providing us with fantastic beer for the World Cup. All right, well, if you can't tell, with the World Cup beginning in two days, I couldn't be more excited. It's so different having it in November and not in the usual summer months, but here we are. The teams have been settling into Qatar all week, getting used to the desert weather and the location overall, and getting in their final preparations together before the main event starts. This is what you dream about as a little kid. It doesn't matter if you are competing in your first World Cup event like 25 of our U.S. men, or if this is your fifth time, like Messi, Ronaldo, and two players from Mexico in Guillermo Ochoa and Andres Gardado. The feeling is still special. It is unlike any tournament in the entire world. This is the pinnacle of world soccer, and it's treated as such. Currently, it's estimated that 5 billion people will watch the World Cup. 5 billion. There aren't 8 billion people in the world yet. That's why soccer is the world's sport and always will be. It will bring people together. And hopefully, Qatar is able to put on a show that allows that. The U.S. men gathered over the past week and have been training and preparing just like every country has been. They are focused, they seem excited for the moment, and they seem loose. They are staying at one of the most exclusive hotels in all of Doha. If you haven't Googled it, check out the Pearl Luxury Resort. It's on a man-made island surrounded by the Persian Gulf. Pretty spectacular, and it should give the boys a nice spot to relax during their downtime. Training-wise, they've been using the Thani Ben Jassim Stadium, which is in great condition and includes a massive gym, 
offices, rest areas, and plenty of other amenities. They have held trainings that included some small-sided games with the Qatari migrant workers in a fun event, as well as an open practice in front of all of the U.S. military families stationed in Qatar and at the embassy there. Now, typically, the U.S. would have about five to six weeks together to train before the start of the World Cup. They would usually get to train in the U.S., play a couple of friendly matches, and then get a proper send-off to their destination. This time, the team all scrambled from different locations on different days and times and only have about a week to get familiar with one another again. However, every country is in the same situation as we are, so there will be no excuses come tournament time. As Brian and I touched on during our last episode, we can expect to play a defensive-minded, counter-attacking Welsh squad in our first match, led by their most notable player, Gareth Bell, of the MLS Cup-winning LAFC. They will present a formidable first test. On paper, they actually match up very evenly. Wales has a large contingent of their roster playing in the Premier League, like Daniel James and Harry Wilson of Fulham, Ben Davies of Tottenham, Kiefer Moore and Chris Mepham of Bournemouth, and then the trio of players for Nottingham Forest in goalkeeper Wayne Hennessy, Neko Williams, and Brennan Johnson. Then you throw in a couple of former Premier League guys in Aaron Ramsey, Joe Rodon, and Joe Allen, and Wales seems like a much stronger squad than previously thought. With their FIFA ranking at 19th and the U.S. at 16th, this is truly a toss-up of a match. I would anticipate Wales coming out in a 5-3-2 type of formation with inverted wingers on the defensive line. That basically means both outside defenders will move up on the pitch when in the attack to basically form a 3-5-2 attacking formation. It will challenge the U.S. offensively trying to break through their defensive shape given there won't be a lot of room to penetrate through. What happens in this shape is that the U.S. will have more possession of the ball, but they'll find their chances tough to come by if Wales stays compact like they normally do. And then when Wales takes possession of the ball, they will be quick to counter as the U.S. will most likely be pressed high and forward. This is what the U.S. will have to be careful of. The speed of James, Bale, and others will be difficult to contain in those situations. I would also like to remind those who think this should be an easy win for the U.S., Wales' most recent matches were just a 1-0 loss to Poland, a 2-1 loss to the second-ranked team in the world in Belgium, a 3-2 loss to the eighth-ranked Netherlands, and a 1-1 draw against Belgium. Wales' last victory came against Ukraine in June in their World Cup playoff final. They're not an easy squad to put away, and they are feisty. They play with passion, they work hard, and they are non-stop with their pressure. So, how will we line up against them, and what should we expect to see from our own squad? This has been a non-stop question I keep receiving, and Brian and I mentioned our personal predictions for what we think a starting 11 will look like. We will line up in a 4-3-3 formation. That much is known. I fully expect Mac Turner to start in goal. He has recovered from his groin injury and is 100% ready to go. In the defense, Anthony Robinson will start at left back. Tim Ream should get the start at the left center back spot with Walker Zimmerman at the right center back spot. At right back, I expect to see Serginho Dest there. However, he is still recovering from a recent injury, so that could change. In the midfield, Tyler Adams should be the captain of this squad for the World Cup, and he will take on the defensive midfield six role. Alongside him, Yunus Musa will get the start in the eight role, and nobody can argue how much his presence was missed during the September camp. I expect Yunus Musa to have a breakout World Cup. In the more traditional 10 spot in the midfield, 
I think Weston McKinney gets the start. He is also recovering from an injury, so this could change to someone like Brendan Aronson. Into the attack, I have Christian Pulisic on the left wing and Gio Reyna on the right wing, with Haji Wright into the striker role. Now again, this is what I think we should do. I think Haji Wright should start, given his form, but also because he is a big body who will take two defenders out of the back five that I expect Wales to have. We need someone who can go shoulder to shoulder with them. He's a natural finisher, and giving him the start for this particular matchup just seems warranted. Maybe Greg decides to give Des an extra couple of days of rest for the England matchup and puts in Joe Scally or Shaq Moore or DeAndre Yedlin at right back. Maybe he decides to let McKinney heal a bit more too and puts Aronson or Reyna into that attacking midfielder role. Maybe he opts for Sargent in the striker role or goes with his MLS favorite Jesus Ferreira there. Tactically, we will have a different lineup variation every single match. Tim Weah will be a factor in this match. Either way, you will see something like this lineup that I just previewed. The main concern, and we saw it during our September friendlies, was that we weren't able to create anything offensively. Yes, we were missing a few guys from this squad, but we had two shots on target in 180 minutes. How can we expect to break down a team like Wales? Well, it starts with discipline for one. We need to respect that Wales is going to be compact defensively and force us to beat them. We can't just spray balls into the 18-yard box and hope someone finishes one. We need to be smart with our build-up and possession, try to spread them out as much as we can, and leverage our playmakers to actually make plays. I think I saw something that I never realized before. We have never had Pulisic, McKinney, Adams, Musa, Desk, Reyna, and Robinson all on the field together at the same time. If they are all starting, should we worry about their familiarity with one another? Something to think about. But we have to get the ball in their possession and be smart with what we do. If And if we lose the ball, we have to be disciplined enough to track back and get in our own defensive shape. We are not good enough in the center of defense to be outnumbered against the counterattack that the Welsh have. It is quick, and they are fast to transition and clinical in their own finishing. The World, the World Cup is a funny tournament. You truly see the most world-class moments in the sport, and we don't want to be on the wrong end of a highlight reel. But in all fairness, this is going to be an even contest. I saw another stat this week that was interesting. In the past five opening matches at the World Cup for the U.S., we have either scored or been scored on in the first 10 minutes of the match. In 1998, Germany's Andreas Muller scored in the ninth minute against the U.S. In 2002, against Portugal, John O'Brien scored within four minutes to give us a 1-0 lead. In 2006, against Czech Republic, Jan Kohler scored against us within five minutes. Back in 2010, I remember this one clear as day, seeing Steven Gerrard score in the fourth minute to put England up 1-0 on the U.S., and who can forget in 2014, Clint Dempsey put the U.S. ahead within 30 seconds of the opening whistle against Ghana. We ended up losing the match to Germany in 98. We beat Portugal in 02. We lost to the Czechs in 06, came back to draw England in 2010, and we beat Ghana back in 14. Two wins when we score first. Two losses and a draw when we concede first. I think the adrenaline will be flowing, the excitement will be sky high, the crowd will be incredible, and when that first whistle blows, you might as well hold your breath for 10 minutes because anything can happen. What I will repeat from earlier this week is that the U.S. needs three points 
to feel great about their chances of moving forward in this group. One point for a draw won't be the end of the world, but obviously a win is better. The second match against England, which I will preview after our Wales match, is going to be really tough to get a result from. Not impossible, but you certainly don't want to face England with zero points and know that a second loss will all but eliminate you from the competition. The U.S. advanced out of their group in 2010 and 2014, but failed miserably in 98 and 06. In 2002, it was our magical quarterfinal run in the tournament. I think this squad is more talented than we have ever had. Younger, sure, but the talent is there. Can they put it all together in advance? I believe they can, but it's also a very real possibility that they don't. So, what is my final prediction for our first match in the World Cup against Wales? These two squads met each other back in November 2020. It was the debuts for Gio Reyna and Yunus Musa. It ended in a nil-nil draw. Both squads look very different now, but I expect a similar result. I actually think the U.S. is going to face some adversity in this one, and they're going to go down 1-0 in the first half before fighting back in the second half to escape with a 2-1 victory behind goals from Brendan Aronson and Weston McKinney. It will be a tough match, maybe ugly at times, but ultimately, the U.S. gets the job done and heads off to face England next on Black Friday with three points in hand. All right. Well, a lot can happen between now and Monday's match, but thanks to social media interactions, I have a few questions to answer in anticipation of our opener. As a reminder, if you have a question... Send me a message on Instagram or Twitter or an email to will.clark at thesoccerpints.com. Not to give a spoiler alert for next week, but Brian Edwards will be rejoining me after each match for recaps and previews into our next matches too. So make sure if you want anything answered from him specifically to let me know. First up today, and we somewhat answered this during the last episode, but I wanted to make sure there was more clarity here. How can we say we are bringing our most talented players when we bring in guys like Roldan, Morris, and Long over guys like Pepe, Pifak, McKenzie, and Brooks? Listen, I don't see eye-to-eye with Greg on quite a few things. I know that. You know that by now. But what I will say is I respect his decisions for this roster. You are building a 26-man roster to go out and compete at the World Cup. I said I respect his decisions. I didn't say I agree with them completely, but I understand why he made the choices he did. Rolled on, for what it's worth, is almost like having an extra coach within the squad. He is someone who puts the team first and genuinely wants those ahead of him in the lineup to perform well. He knows it is very unlikely that he will see minutes at this World Cup. And he truly shouldn't, given we have 26 players. Having those three additional players for this World Cup gave coaches a unique opportunity to add to their squad, and that doesn't necessarily mean bringing in more talented players, but rather bringing in individuals who can help the squad in other ways. I think players like Roldan and Morris can do that. Take it for what it's worth with Aaron Aaron Long being on the roster after his lackluster MLS season and the September camp performances he had. I really wish Brian was on here to add some color to the John Brooks part of this question, but sometimes It is worth more to a team to have a few guys around that can see the game and make a difference from the sidelines. You can bring the most talented group of players in any sport to a match, but if there isn't some sort of identity or camaraderie within this team, 
They aren't going to perform when it matters. I think bringing in the ones that Greg decided on are the players he felt could impact this team the most. Again, we can nitpick on every single decision, but at the end of the day, the back of the roster guys like this shouldn't be on the field much at all during the tournament. We have solid depth and have the right pieces to make a run if we stay united. Next question, what are your final predictions for the U.S. to finish in our group? I'm glad this came in earlier this week. I made Group B predictions back in Episode 16, so about four months ago. In those predictions, I had the U.S. beating Wales 2-0 and England beating Iran 3-0 in the group openers. In the second matches, I had the U.S. upsetting England 2-1 and Wales and Iran drawing 1-1. And in the final group matches, I had England beating Wales 4-0 and the U.S. and Iran drawing 1-1. Those results had me putting the U.S. atop the group with 7 points and England in second with 6 followed by Iran with two and Wales with one. So, four months later, here we are. A lot has changed. I'll give my updated predictions now. I have England beating Iran 2-0. And since I just gave this prediction earlier today, you know I have the U.S. beating Wales 2-1 to start off the group. However, the second group matches for me. I still have Wales and Iran drawing 1-1, but I have England beating the U.S. 3-0. Call it a gut feeling that I hope is wrong, but I think there's some serious motivation from England to make a statement at this tournament, and we may may get the brunt of that on Black Friday. On the final match match day of the group, I have England beating Wales 1-0, and I still have the U.S. drawing Iran 1-1. It's not all doom and gloom, though. These results put England on top of the group with with all nine points, and the U.S. finishing second on four points followed by Iran with two and Wales with one. As frustrating as that may be, it's enough to go through to the knockout phase, and that is the only goal that matters in this group stage. Survive and advance is a March Madness college basketball term, and that is what this U.S. team will be thinking. I can't stress my feelings enough about this first match. It is a massive one. We need to get a result in a major way. Final question today before I jump into my final thoughts before this World Cup begins. Who do you think will win the World Cup and how far will the U.S. go? There are so many talented squads at this World Cup. You have your typical powerhouses like Brazil, France, Germany, Spain, England, and Argentina that can be looked on as the favorites. You have some other extremely talented squads that can beat anyone on any given day like Belgium, Netherlands, and Portugal. The past four winners of the World Cup have been Europeans, with France winning in 2018, Germany in 2014, Spain in 2010, and non-World Cup participant Italy in 2006. Brazil hasn't won since 2002. Let me share another wild stat that most people don't know. Brazil is the last World Cup winner to make it out of their group stage in the next World Cup. In 2010, Italy finished dead last in their group and didn't go to the knockout stage. In 2014, Spain finished third in their group and didn't advance. In 2018, Yep, you guessed it, Germany failed to advance as well, finishing dead last in their group. Even back in 1998 when France won, they finished last in their group at the 2002 World Cup. It's a real trend outside of that 2006 Brazil squad. And I really like three teams at this World Cup. Brazil, Argentina, France. I don't see France bowing out early like previous winners have. They are in a group with Denmark, Tunisia, and Australia. They have way too much talent in their team to not finish first or second there. But I really feel this tournament is set up for Brazil and Argentina to get the trophy back into South America. If they are playing their game, it will be very difficult for anyone to beat them. 
There is always a team that surprises and advances much further than anyone expected them to. In 2002, it was South South Korea advancing to the semifinals and the U.S. going to the quarterfinals. In 2006, Ukraine made it to the quarterfinals. In 2010, you had Ghana and Paraguay making the quarterfinals. Back in 2014, you had the incredible quarterfinal run made by Costa Rica, who was a penalty kick shootout miss away from making the semifinals. And back in 2018, I don't think anyone had Croatia making the finals or even Russia and Sweden making the quarterfinals. There are so many things that can happen. Again, it is just such a special tournament. For those of you who have never really watched or followed along, it's just hard to describe. All right, to answer your question after I just rambled on and on, again, my favorites are Brazil, Argentina, and France. If Brazil and Argentina both win their groups, they could face off in the semifinals, which I actually have as a predicted matchup. In my other semifinal matchup, I have France against the surprise of the tournament in Serbia. I feel like they could be this year's Croatia. They have a lot of capable players. Ultimately, I have Brazil beating France in the final in what would be the best final you could ask for as a soccer fan. I have the U.S. finishing second in our group, like I mentioned a moment ago, and I have them upsetting Netherlands in the round of 16 before losing to Argentina in the quarterfinals. That's a seriously high hope prediction. And as I have told everyone I speak with, it's one or the other for me. The U.S. is either going on a run or they are going to finish last in the group. This team seems like they could go either way. I just hope I am right for the sake of all of us. All right. On to my final thoughts of the week before we kick off this World Cup, and I don't have much else to say except for a couple of things. I am extremely excited and proud to be able to watch the U.S. compete in a World Cup again. Missing out on 2018 was heartbreaking for the group of players who were trying to qualify and for all of us U.S. fans. But that is the past. We have an opportunity to show the world that we are capable in this sport, that we can produce results in big games. We might be one of the youngest squads in the entire World Cup, but our men are ready for this moment. I hope each of you out there are able to watch our matches and support this team. I keep saying this, but it is such a spectacle to watch a World Cup. It is unlike anything else out there. Every match, regardless of who is playing, is worth watching. There will be special moments. I wish our U.S. men's national team and Greg nothing but the best of luck And I hope you all stay safe and healthy during the tournament. Final thought this week. Last Friday was Veterans Day here in the United States. It's a day where we honor those who have served in our military, who have made sacrifices to ensure we have all of the freedoms that are afforded to us. I am thankful for each person who has served for our country and appreciate everything that they have done and continue to do for us. To my late grandfathers, my father-in-law, Doug Hammer, to our close family friends, Chris and Karen Lyons, to my good friend, Brian Archer, to my brother, Press, and to so many others. Thank you for your service to our country. I respect every single one of you for what you have given to all of us. And to anyone who happens to be around me during a World Cup match, I've got a pint with your name on it. So thank you again to all of our veterans. All right. Well, that's it for today. Thanks again for listening to the show. I hope each and every one of you are as excited about this World Cup and our U.S. national team as I am. Special thanks again to Palm City Brewing for providing me with this Pulisic Pale Ale. Please continue 
to share Soccer Pints with others and follow Soccer Pints on Instagram and Twitter. We're continuing to grow and gain more steam and it is all because of you. So thank you. Next episode, I will be joined again with Brian Edwards to break down the result against Wales and preview our second group match against England. Here's to our U.S. men's national team starting this World Cup off on a winning foot. Monday can't come soon enough. So until next time, cheers, my friends.